0: God is saying that because he called Abram out of the world and made a covenant with him, he is to devote himself to God and live in obedience to him. So Abram isn't to do this to maintain good standing with God. He was to do this because he now belonged to God. Welcome to the Fox Den with Terry Fox. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Fox Den. It's not uncommon in our time to overlook the Old Testament. Many think of it as a historic book. I mean, sure, it's God's word and therefore authoritative, but the New Testament is where it's at. The New Testament has relevant guidance for daily living, guidance for us in our day and age. However, the Old Testament is more than history. I mean, yes, it's history. It contains actual historic events with actual historic figures, After all, Adam and Eve were real human beings. The Garden of Eden actually existed. There was an actual event in which one family survived a global flood. So the Old Testament is history. Yet it's more than that. As history unfolds, God gives us a glimpse of who he is. He gives us a glimpse of what he's going to do. And he tells us about Jesus Christ, the offspring of the woman who will defeat Satan. With this in mind... The Old Testament is more valuable than merely seeing the history of Israel. However, when we read the Old Testament, we have to keep Jesus Christ in view since he is really the main character of the Old Testament. I realize his birth is in the New Testament, but he is the one coming as the Old Testament unfolds. And this is one of the reasons why I wanted to do a survey of Genesis. As we go through this book, we can see where Israel came from. But more importantly, we can see who God is. He's a covenant making God and He's a covenant keeping God. And this should encourage us and give us hope. Trusting Him is not in vain. And as we go through the Old Testament, we learn more about Jesus Christ. You will also see that God gives us a glimpse of what is coming for us. So, with this long intro out of the way, let's jump into our survey of Genesis. And we're going to look at Genesis chapter 17. Now, up to this point, we've seen the creation of all things, the fall of mankind. We saw God call Abram to the promised land and making a covenant with him. This covenant that God made with him was, first of all, a unilateral covenant. And in this covenant, God promised to give Abram many offspring, and he promised to give Abram a son. And this was a big deal because Abram was old and his wife was barren. Because Abram believed God, God counted his faith as righteousness. Yet we see that Abram's faith wasn't as strong as it may have seemed. In Genesis 16, Abram took matters in his own hands. He had a child with his wife's servant because his wife was barren. But this isn't what God meant when he made the promise that Abram would have a son. God intended that Abram's barren wife would have a son. You see, God's not limited by a barren woman. He would even produce a child in a virgin many years later. This brings us to Genesis chapter 17. The first thing to notice is that the events of Genesis don't necessarily follow one immediately after another. Thirteen years passed between the end of chapter 16 and the beginning of chapter 17. Take a look at the last verse of chapter 16. Abram was 86 years old. Now look at the first verse of chapter 17. Abram was 99 years old. So a considerable amount of time passed between the end of chapter 16 and the beginning of chapter 17. But think about this for a moment. Thirteen years passed and Abram still hadn't received the promised son. Did God break his promise? Well, of course not. Just because God didn't immediately give Abram a son doesn't mean that God broke his promise. And I think we have to be careful not to impose our timeline onto God. For example, we can't think that God hasn't answered prayer because it doesn't happen when we think it should happen. God will answer prayer and fulfill his promises when he sees fit. When God makes a promise, it will come to pass on his timeline, not ours. Now, at the beginning of chapter 17, God appeared to Abram and he identified himself. He is God Almighty. And then he called Abram to walk before him and be blameless. So it appears God's covenant with Abram is conditional. Listen to verses 1 and 2 in the English Standard Version. I'm God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. The that, at the beginning of verse 2, leads us to believe that God's covenant is conditional. Be blameless, that I may make my covenant. However, let's compare the English Standard Version with a couple other versions. Listen to verses 1 and 2 in the King James Version. I am the Almighty God. Walk before me, and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. This version translated the original language of Genesis 17 verse 2 with, and, not that but this too makes it sound like the covenant of God is conditional. You do this, and I will do this. However, according to this translation, you're not necessarily limited to a conditional covenant. It could be unconditional. You do this, and I will do this. One is not necessarily dependent on the other. Now listen to verses 1 and 2 of the New American Standard Version. I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. In this version, the conjunction is removed, and it makes the covenant of God unconditional. You do this, I do this. One is not based on the other. And I believe the American Standard Bible is the best understanding of this verse. We've seen up to this point that God's covenant is unilateral. It's unconditional. Remember back in Genesis 15, God alone passed through the pieces of the animals. And we will also see throughout the remainder of the Old Testament that God's covenant is unconditional. God didn't make a covenant with Abram based on Abram's perfection. He did it unconditionally based on his grace alone. He did something very similar with the people of Israel hundreds of years later when they were in the wilderness after leaving Egypt. Take a look at Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. This is the Ten Commandments. But look at how it begins in verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he issues the Ten Commandments. He identified himself first as the one who rescued them. And because he is their God, they are to live in a certain manner. So the first thing to notice here is that he identified himself as their God. So he's not just a God. He is their God. Second, God issued the Ten Commandments after he rescued the people of Israel. He didn't say, I'll rescue you if you live by these Ten Commandments. Was God going to send them back to slavery if they violated the Ten Commandments? No, the Ten Commandments were given to the Israelites because now they were the people of God. God didn't rescue them because they were obedient. He rescued them based on his promise to Abram hundreds of years earlier. So, what did God mean by walk before him and be blameless? Basically, because God made a unilateral covenant with Abram, he is to devote himself to God and live in obedience to him. But we have to be careful at this point. Our tendency is to base God's covenant on our obedience. We make his covenant with us conditional. But God is not basing his promise to Abram on his obedience to God. Once again, God's covenant is unconditional. God is saying that because he called Abram out of the world and made a covenant with him, he is to devote himself to God and live in obedience to him. So, Abram isn't to do this to maintain good standing with God— He's to do this because God has been gracious to him. He was to do this because he now belonged to God. And the call is the same for us. We're called to live in obedience to God. However, we're not called to be obedient in order to stay saved. We're called to live in obedience to God because we are saved. And we can't lose that salvation. It's secured for us by God so our disobedience won't threaten our salvation. Is that permission to sin? Of course not. But we're called to live in obedience to God because of the grace that he extended to us in Christ. We now belong to God and we're part of his family, so we're to live like it. So coming back to Genesis chapter 17, after God identified himself to Abram and called him to be blameless, he promised to make a covenant with Abram and multiply him. Then Abram fell on his face. This is a humble and grateful response to God. Now look at what God said in verses 4 through 8. He tells Abram that he will be the father of many nations. And God here is referring to believers in Christ. In essence, he's referring to you and me, people around the world who are gathered by God to be his people throughout history. God's not just calling Americans to be his people. He's calling people from Korea, Germany, Brazil, Russia, China, and all other nations And look at Romans chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. There we see that Abraham is the father of us all. And then Paul refers to Genesis chapter 17, verse 4. Coming back to Genesis 17 and verse 5, God changes Abram's name to Abraham. Now look at the end of verse 5. God said, I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Did you catch that? I have made Remember, at this point, Abraham has no children, and God told him that he had made him the father of a multitude of nations. It was a done deal. God had made him the father of a multitude of nations, and he hadn't even had any children yet. You see, God is sovereign, and his covenant and promises can't be thwarted. So, when God makes a promise, it's as good as done. The last thing I want you to notice about verses 4 through 8 is how many times God said that he will do something or he has done something. God made him the father of a multitude of nations. God will make him fruitful. God will make him into nations. God will establish his covenant between him and Abraham and his offspring. God will give Abraham and his offspring the land of Canaan. And God will be their God. Notice there are no conditions to what God will do in verses 4 through 8. Then in verses 9-14, through God established the sign of the covenant, and that's circumcision. Take a look at verse 11. Circumcision is a sign of God's covenant. So, God called Abraham to be circumcised and all the males in his household. And all the male children born of Abraham and his offspring shall be circumcised at eight days old. Now, you can say that this is a condition of the covenant. And I realize I sound like I'm backtracking on my previous comment, but notice that those uncircumcised were to be cut off because they had broken God's covenant. However, this is a sign of the covenant, a mark of God's people. Said another way, you don't have the sign of the covenant. You're not God's people, and therefore you're to be cut off from God's people. And Paul explains the sign of the covenant in Romans chapter 4. The point that Paul makes is that Abraham was not declared righteous after he was circumcised, but before. In verse 11, Paul says that Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness. That seal is a mark. It's an identifier of righteousness. Because Abraham was sinless? No, remember in Genesis 15, Abraham believed God, and God counted his faith as righteousness his believing as righteousness. The sign of circumcision comes after God counted faith as righteousness. So, the promise of God is realized through faith, not obedience, not by works. That means circumcision was a distinguisher of those who belonged to God. You can listen to the Churchy Fruits Learn About Courage on YouTube It's an episode of the Lutheran Satire YouTube channel, and I'll leave a link in the description. He does a good job explaining circumcision. Verses 15 through 21 cover the promise of the birth of Abraham's son. Remember, at this point, Abraham has no children. But here, God reiterated his promise to Abraham that he would have a son. The first thing to see here is that God changed the name of Abraham's wife. He changed Sarai's name to Sarah. Then God said that he would bless her and give her a son. And then we get a glimpse of Abraham's weak faith. He laughed and made an appeal to God that Ishmael, Abraham's son through Sarah's servant, be the heir. Isn't that interesting? God established the sign of circumcision with Abraham as a sign of his faith counted as righteousness. Yet here we get a glimpse of Abraham's weak faith. This should encourage you. God isn't looking for massive faith from you. Your weak faith is sufficient faith. Remember, God saves his people based on his promise and grace, not our faith and obedience. And even our faith is a gift from God. So Abraham made an appeal to God concerning Ishmael. But God assured him that Sarah would have a son. And God would establish his covenant with Isaac, Abraham's son through Sarah. And she would give birth to Isaac Isaac the next year. Then chapter 17 concludes with Abraham and his household being circumcised. They received the sign of the covenant. So in chapter 17, God moved his plan forward. He made a promise years before that Abraham would have a son from whom all nations would come. And here, 13 years later, God reiterates his promise. But now God provides a timeline. Sarah would give birth the next year. And then God institutes the covenant sign of circumcision, not as a means to secure salvation, but as a means to mark his people. Now, I'm not going to take time to unfold this in this episode, but those of us who hold to a Reformed view see a connection between circumcision and baptism. In fact, we would argue that these two are the same sacrament. They're just administered differently. For the Israelites, circumcision was the sign of God's covenant with Abraham. Christians, baptism is a sign that we have been united to Christ by faith. Listen to question 94 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It asks, what is baptism? And it answers by saying, Baptism is a sacrament wherein the washing with water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit does signify and seal our engrafting into Christ and partaking of the benefits of the covenant of grace and our engagement to be the Lord's. With this short survey of baptism, you can see parallels between circumcision and baptism. Now, my purpose here isn't to persuade you to hold the view that circumcision and baptism are really the same thing, just administered differently. Even if the two sacraments aren't the same, you should see the value that circumcision had for the Israelites and that baptism has for us. For the Israelite, circumcision reminded them of God's covenant with them, and baptism reminds us really of the same thing. It's a sign that we have been united to Christ by faith. It's a sign that we belong to him. That's what circumcision was. Therefore, your baptism should serve as a source of encouragement. You've been marked by God. And like Israel, your salvation is based solely on the promise of God. God made a unilateral covenant with Abraham to give him many offspring. Well, that's us. We are the numerous offspring that God had in mind. Your baptism is a sign that you are one of the numerous offspring promised to Abraham. If you're a believer in Christ and you haven't been baptized yet, meet with your pastor and receive the covenant sign of baptism. If you have been baptized, reflect on your baptism. It's God's sign to you that you have been marked by him with his covenant sign. It's God's sign to you that you have been united to Christ by faith. It's God's means of encouraging you and give you hope, reminding you that you are secure in Christ because of the covenant that God made with you in Christ. That concludes this episode. If you have any questions, please email me at terry at com. If you enjoy The Fox Den, please leave a positive review and share this podcast with others. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe. The Fox Den is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Thanks for listening. And remember, faith comes by hearing.